Why don't you turn to Zechariah chapter 7. Zechariah chapter 7. We're looking at the entire chapter, verse 1 through 14. And the message entitled, Religious Ritual is Empty. The prophet Zechariah has finished with his visions that have been imparted by God in one night. In Zechariah chapter 1, from verse 1 all the way to 6, 8, we find these visions. The visions were finalized with the prophetic stone, uh, crowning of Joshua that pointed to the crowning of Jesus Christ in the kingdom age in chapter 6, verse 9 to 15. The remaining chapters are prophetic revelation, not visions, chapter 7 to 14. Now, the next two chapters deal with a group of men inquiring of God if they should continue to observe certain feast days and practices as they had during the captivity. And then also it deals with the future kingdom age, chapter 7, all the way um, down to uh, the last verse of chapter 8. What we want to do is focus our study on the seventh chapter that reveals God prefers obedience over ritualistic ceremony. Let me read our text here in chapter 7, 1 through 14. It's now in the fourth year of King Darius. It came to pass that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month of Shishlub, when the people sent uh, Sherezer with Regim Melech and his men to the house of God to pray before the Lord. And he asked the priests who were in the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, saying, Should I weep in the fifth month and fast as I have done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord um, of hosts came to me, saying, Say to all the people of the land and to the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month during those seventy years, did you really fast for me? For me? When you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? Should you not have obeyed the words which the Lord proclaimed through the former prophets when Jerusalem and the cities around there were inhabited and prosperous and the south and the lowland were inhabited? The word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Execute true justice, show mercy and compassion everyone to his brother. Do not express or oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you Plan evil in his heart against his brethren. But they refused to heed, shrugged their shoulders, and stopped their ears so they could not hear. Yes, they made their hearts like flint, refusing to hear the law and the words of the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Thus great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. Therefore it happened. That just as he proclaimed them, they would not hear, so they called out, and I would not listen, says the Lord of hosts. But I scattered them, and the world went among all the nations which they had not known. Thus the land became desolate after them, so that no one passed through or returned, for they made the pleasant land desolate. God prefers obedience over ritualistic ceremony. That's what chapter 7 declares, and is characterized by three things. First, the delegation that inquired from God, verse 1 through 3. Second, the consternation expressed by God, in verse 4 through 7. And thirdly, the castigation revealed by God, in verse 8 through 14. 
We begin with a delegation that inquired from God, 1 through 3. Notice in verse 1, the prophet Zechariah recorded the date of the prophecy as we have seen before and also in, in Haggai. The date is complete and concise. Now in the fourth year of King Darius, on the fourth day of the ninth month, Shishlub. Once again, the prophecy is dated by the reigning Gentile king. This is the time of the Gentiles, from the head of gold Nebuchadnezzar down to the ten toes. That's the king, the Gentile, uh, the time of the Gentiles when Israel is no longer in power as, uh, as God's authority. Um, this is um, the king's fourth year. The fourth year of Darius' reign. That means it's 518. The month and day, here again, December 4th, very exact. So you have the month, the day, and the year. And as you compare them to other ones, this prophecy is almost two years since the visions have ended. In fact, 22 months if you compare the date of chapter 1, verse 7 to here. Two years and one month since the first prophecy of Haggai the prophet in chapter 1, verse 1 of Haggai. Remember Haggai and Zechariah? Um, they're prophesying together. They play relay races, passing the baton back and forth here, prophesying by God. Now, the date identifies the day uh, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. And sometimes the prophets indicate the time, not the time they say the, Lord, the word of the Lord just came. Here, this phrase identifies the revelation divinely again directed from God to the prophet. To ensure that all that God is doing, he's doing after the fulfillment of what he promised before they even went to captivity. He's working within, within them again. This is the sixth appearance of this phrase uh, in the book of Zechariah. And the temple has uh, been resumed uh, when Darius confirmed the decree of Cyrus, if you remember, in Ezra 6, 1 through 14. And the temple at this point... In two more years, it will be finished if you look at Ezra 8.15. So they're halfway through in the temple, and God is again dealing with them. Now notice the prophet Zechariah in verse 2-3 through three, recorded the twofold purpose for the arrival of this delegation. The people are, um, had sent this group. Uh, we don't know who these people are, but simply they stated that they were sent by men. Um, they probably are from Babylon, like um, the previous group that came, Haldai and Tobijah and Jedediah, who brought the gift of silver and gold to make a crown and to have it placed on Joshua's head, symbolic of the future kingdom um, coronation of Jesus in chapter 6, verse 10 through 11. They came from Babylon. It says right there. Now, some say they come from Bethel uh, in the north of the land of Israel, by the phrase here, house of God, which means, house of God means Bethel. And so they, they take this and they automatically conclude that they're coming from the north of, of Israel. But the verse simply says that they were sent to the house of God, which would indicate Jerusalem, the temples being built. So when you read some commentators, you'll say, man, I never saw that because it's never there. So a lot of people read into the text what's not there. It simply says they were sent to the house of God, not the Bethel. 
Okay, Bethel does mean house of God, but it doesn't say they came from Bethel. The only implication in common sense is they've been in captivity of Babylon. They were, came from the same place as the previous group. You cannot teach from the absence of scripture or from being creative in reading into the text. Now, the names of these men are given. They are from Babylon, their names. Uh, Sherezer means uh, uh, send away or outstre- uh, stretched out. Uh, Regan Melech means uh, dwelling. Um, the other men that just say his men, we don't know the number, we don't know the names, and these are the two guys that are prominent, and that's it. Now, the purpose was twofold. Look at uh, the end of verse 2 and 3. First, they were sent to the house of God to pray before the Lord Yahweh here. The house of God was the temple. There's no other thing we can conclude. The temple is being built. It will be finished in two years. And they came to pray. The word pray there means to become weak or grieved before Yahweh, the holy covenant God, to seek his will. The reason why they went to captivity is they didn't do his will. They went contrary to his will. Now God has chastened them, brought them back. He's working and he, they are to demonstrate a repentant heart. As we'll push through the text, we'll see this. Second, they were to ask the leaders in the house of God to seek God about this question on fasting. The priests who were over the house of the Lord of hosts notice, the captain of the armies of heaven, uh, the judge and protector of Israel. The prophets Zechariah and Haggai, as you know, were used by God to call the people to repentance and to continue the work in the temple. In Haggai chapter 1, verse 1 through 6, he called them to repentance. They repented. They went up to the mountain and began the work. In Zechariah chapter 1, then now God is using him also. The people are, are, are actively being used by God. And even though the work is not as great as Solomon's day, it is the new work. Therefore, it's the most important work. And they're to celebrate that. Now, notice the request is stated. Should I weep in the fifth month and fast and, uh, as I have done for so many years? The fifth month was August of 586 B.C. in commemoration of the destruction of the temple by Nebuchadnezzar. You find this in Jeremiah 52, verse 12 through 13. And they had fasted on this date for 70 years in captivity, accompanied with weeping, lamentations. The Jews were very demonstrative. They would put sackcloth and throw dust in the air and weep and everything else. In the times of Jesus, you know that they could hire professional mourners to cry for your dead one. Okay? A lot of hypocrisy, a lot of acting religiously like. And uh, we're going to see that God has this against these individuals also. The problem was that God never instituted this day of fasting or weeping. The practice of fasting and weeping is a denial of oneself by food because I want to seek God. I want to hear from God. I want to just be directed by God. Not that the fasting forces God to hear me or not that the fasting forces God to direct me, but to demonstrate my heart, my passion for him. So it's not some ritualistic mechanical thing that happens automatically. There was only, by the way, only one day that God commanded for fasting. That was the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, Leviticus 16. Only one, none other. Man always wants to put all kinds of things to demonstrate and to give an appearance that he's spiritual when he's carnal. I think um, Ezekiel 
um, was encountered with the same thing in the captivity. Listen carefully. This illustrates our point. And there stood before them uh, 70 men of elders of the house of Israel. And in their midst stood uh, Jezaniah, the son of Shaphan. Each man had a censer in his hand, and the thick cloud of incense went up. These are the elders, the spiritual men. Then he said to me, Son of man, God speaking to Ezekiel, Have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the room of his idols? For they say, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. And he said to me, Turn again, and you will see greater abominations that they are doing. So he brought me into the door of the north gate of the Lord's house. And to my dismay, women were sitting there weeping for Tammuz. Then he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Turn again, you will see greater abominations than these. Tammuz was supposedly the son of Nimrod by his wife Simramis after Nimrod had died and she got impregnated miraculously. And he was out hunting boar one day and he was killed. And 40 days afterwards, he was resurrected, the counterfeit of Jesus Christ. By the way, those 40 days are where you get the day of Lent. Back from Babylon. Okay? They're worshiping Tammuz in the days of Ezekiel, which was the son of Semiramis, which was the wife of Nimrod, the one who stole men's souls away from God. Oh, Babylon. Interesting. The failure of men and women is to think that God is indifferent or worse, overlooks their corrupt living like the elders of Ezekiel's day today. To give an outward appearance of spirituality when in fact there's too much carnality. This book is relevant today. This is happening today within the church more than ever because of the lowered ethic and norms of our entire nation and world. And so it's been lowered within the church. To offer service to God while living in sin. Maybe some of you slept with your boyfriend or girlfriend last night. Some of you got drunk. Yet you're here seeking the Lord. Now I'm glad you're here. But if you're here, you need to repent. To just go before God and think that he somehow pardons you and because you're such a special person is a self-deception. As we move on the text, we will see this. Listen to Matthew twenty-three, thirteen. Jesus speaking. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. People who misrepresent God stumble other people from entering in. Even keep people from going in. God is active and in control of history, as you know, in a way that we cannot fully understand. And God predicts certain events that will take place, such as the, uh, the nations um, to rule at any set time, and even rulers at time, in the time of the Gentiles. He declared it to Nebuchadnezzar. But God never forces any person or nation to do anything against their will, be it good or evil. Otherwise, God would be responsible for the evil that they did. Then how could he judge them? God gives free reign to man. It's no problem for him. Nevertheless, because God knows all things, he cannot learn anything. So he's omniscient. Then his foreknowledge, he knows what's going to happen before it happens. So for God, it's, you're not a problem. I'm not a problem. No one's a problem. Nothing's a problem. Okay. God has never said up in heaven, oh, I didn't know that. 
I didn't think about that. So God is actively intervening throughout the course of history to bring about his will, working through believers as well as non-believers without violating their will. How can I be? I don't know. We'll ask him together. But it's no problem for him. And the record of Scripture bears that out. Isaiah 46, 9 through 10, God speaking. He says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. And if you can say that, please stand up. No one knows even the next second what's going to happen. There are many people who have questions about the Bible and Christianity, both believers and unbelievers. We are not priests or prophets. We are ministers of God to teach you the word of God so that you can depend upon God to live your life, not upon us. That you not be deceived, tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, as Ephesians 4, 11 through 14 says. We're here to serve you, not to rule you. We are from you, among you. We're just like you. No different. Some people question why we do not practice certain things and why we do other things. And every time we must take you to the scriptures and show you, God, this is why we do what we do. This is why we don't do what we don't do because it's sin. It's against the Bible. And so it's not our opinion. It's what the Bible teaches. Many people twist the scripture in this context and they make it all culturally relative for today. Well, that was, you know, the, the culture that, no, no, it's still relevant. Now, when it isn't relevant, fine. But when it is, it's relevant. Sin is always sin with God. We cannot twist it. Those first born again have many questions about the Bible, sometimes in relationship to the religion. Well, I used to do this, can I still do it? No, you can't. Because I take you to the word. Look what it says here. I was raised a Catholic. You know what I mean? You have your idols. You have your virgins. You have your scapulars. You have all this kind of stuff. It's all, it's all idolatry. So I don't do it. Because God prohibits it. First and second commandment. Simple. And so... We are to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts and be ready to give a defense to everyone who has a reason for the hope that lineth with meekness and fear, 1 Peter 3.15 says. You are to give an answer to your, your, your father, your mother, your family members, your brother, your sister, your friends, your co-workers, everything when they ask, well, why, why do we, why, what do you mean this born again? What's this born again stuff? Why, what's the difference between you and a Buddhist? Where do you get this sin stuff? You really believe in the real Satan? Oh, yeah, come here, let me show you something. Taking the word of God. That's the authority. So this was a delegation that inquired from God. Okay? They had God's word. But they had added all kinds of other stuff. People do this. Notice secondly, comes the consternation expressed by God. Verse 4 through 7. In verse 4 through 6, the prophet Zechariah received first, uh, the first answer. God exposes their fasting as empty ritual. God made himself known to the prophet Zechariah. The word of the Lord came to me saying, once again, 
The prophetic formula indicating the source, the origin, the nature of the revelation. The source is divine from the all-knowing God. The origin is from heaven through God who is omnipresent. The nature of their covenant God is by the title all capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh. He made a covenant with them. He has authority over them. Once again, the all-important title is proclaimed the Lord of hosts. If you get tired of it, God doesn't. Do you think God is just trying to fill up space? If you give us a fat book? 22 times it has appeared up to this point. This is the 22nd time out of 54 times in the entire book. Only 14 chapters, 54 times. Six in this chapter. This title, as we have noted, means the captain of the armies of heaven that communicates two things. God is the punisher of Israel and God is the protector of Israel. Israel gets to choose. When you grew up in your house, you had parents. Your parents, you determine whether your parents were your protectors or your punishers. By your actions, they didn't determine it. Everybody blames God. No, no, no. You determine whether you want God to be your protector or your punisher. By your actions, by your attitude. We're going to see this real clear. I don't understand God. Well, you will one day. We try to turn the tables. Try to blame others. Notice verse 5. God made known this insincerity of the people in the past. He directed his message um, to the two groups. Say to all the people in the land of the land and the priests. The people were identified as those belonging to the land. Not merely they had come back to the land. The people in the land go together like peanut butter and jelly, I've told you. Beans and tortillas, okay? God gave them the land. They have the pink slip, the Bible. No one else. The priests were the men to care for the things of God. In the Levitical system, very detailed, the law. Offering sacrifice first for themselves, then for the people. The high priest would go in only once a year with, with many washings and blood for the sins of the nation. Notice he exposed the sin of the people of the land and the priest as a prosecuting attorney that knows and has all the evidence this is the heavenly courtroom. And this is a rhetorical question. Listen. When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month during those seven days, did you really fast for me? For me? If you're a parent, you know what God's talking about here. When you tell your son, do you think I just fell off the turnip truck? Don't say yes. Rhetorical questions have one correct answer only. And you better choose the right one. This, like all other rhetorical questions, has one correct answer. No. No. And God says, I don't think so. You weren't doing it for me. Wow. Now, do you think God's lying? Do you think God's embellishing here? He's exaggerating? Or is he telling the truth? Hmm. The repeated phrase, for me, for me, 
affirms the ironic sarcasm here. You really fasted for me? Think about it before you answer again. The particular times are stated. When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and the seventh month during those 70 years, August and October. These are only two of the four dates that are commemorated by them, not by God. The fourth month, you find them in chapter 8, verse 19. The fourth month, May, they um, commemorate the entering of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Jeremiah 52 verse 6 through 11. The fifth month, August, the temple was burned. You find that in 2 Kings 25, verse 8 and 9, in Jeremiah 52, 12. And the seventh month, October, was when Gadaliah was assassinated, who was left there by Nebuchadnezzar to govern the land. 2 Kings um, 25, 25, and Jeremiah 41, 1 and 2. And the tenth month, January, was the siege that began the whole thing in 2 Kings 25, 1 and Jeremiah 39, 1. Now, none of these days, none of these events, God said, I want you to make it a holy feast, a commemoration. Never. So we lay a lot of things that God never meant. There's a lot of things that people do in church that God says, why are you doing that? Traditions, ritualistic things. People pray, oh God, I want to thank you. Does your child come up and say, oh dad, can I have a dollar? You slap him. He's insulting you. Why do we talk to God so weird? Traditions. You know why it is? Because I want you to believe that I'm really spiritual. Will you hold your Bible? Will you flip those pages? You say, God. What began in a relationship becomes mechanical and it becomes sin to God. And the angels throw up. Hmm. God made known that the people and the priests were only interested for themselves. To the very present. And this is present tense. Look at 6. The heavenly courtroom continues as God, the prosecuting attorney, asks them another question, knowing and having all the evidence. The second rhetorical question is presented. When you eat, now present tense, not past. When you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourself? Don't say no. So you do to like these feeds. You get to feed your face. You're not, you don't have me in mind. This rhetorical question again, the only correct answer is yes. And if they say yes, God says, I know it. The practice revealed that it had become pure ritual and formality to serve themselves their own purposes rather than being genuinely seeking God. It can happen, you come to church like that too for me or anybody, ladies and gentlemen. Notice verse 7. The prophet Zechariah received also in the first answer that God exposed the disobedient hearts of the people. He goes from the action to the source. The source is the most important. Attitude. Perspective. God rebuked them for not obeying. Listen. Should you not have obeyed the words? Here's another rhetorical question. The answer correctly? Yes. They should have, but they didn't. 
The people and priests heard and understood the word of God, but they didn't obey. The people and priests decided not to pay heed to the words for their good. You as a parent tell your children to do certain things, not to do certain things for their good. And you're trusting and hoping that they obey for their good. But sometimes they don't. Why? Because they're your kids. They're little sinners that were produced by big sinners. Sin nature. God rebuked them for not honoring the prophets he sent to them. Listen, which the Lord proclaimed through the former prophets. The former prophets were those sent to them before the Babylonian captivity he's talking about. Major prophets, minor prophets. There were major prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel are in Babylon. Ezekiel with the people. Daniel inside the Shushan, the palace. There were um, six minor prophets prior to the captivity of the northern kingdom um, by Assyria in 722. You have Obadiah, Joel, Jonah, Amos, Hosea, and Micah. There are three contemporary minor prophets prior to um, to the captivity for the southern kingdom, Judah, that they went into to Babylon to three sieges, uh, 606, 596, and 586. You had Nahum, Sephaniah, and Habakkuk. All these prophets to warn them. And God says, and I said, Hear now, O heads of Jacob, and you rulers of the house of Israel. Micah's talking. Is it not for you to know justice? You who hate good and love evil, who strip the skin from my people who flesh uh, and the flesh from their bones, who also eat the flesh of my people, flay their skin from them, break their bones and chop them in pieces like meat for the pot, like flesh to the cauldron. Now, do you think God is embellishing here or lying again? These were the things that were going on. Rather than being the people of God, loving and helping each other and walking with God, they had to corrupted itself and turned evil. Look to our nation, ladies and gentlemen. Look to our, our church today. Everything's being spin, rationalized, explained away, cultural multiplicity, whatever. Wow. God rebuked them for presuming on his patient mercy as he blessed them in spite of their sin. Listen to the words in 7. When Jerusalem and the cities around it were inhabited and prosperous in the south and the lowlands were inhabited. In other words, during this time. When Jerusalem, the capital of the nation and other cities were filled with people being protected by God. Waiting to see if they're going to repent. Not because he didn't know it, but being patient because he's long-suffering. Men and women filled the streets. Children played and enjoyed safety and security when they deserved judgment. You're sitting here all safe. Most of you are enjoying a job. Yet America's under judgment by God. If you don't think it is, you're not reading the Bible properly. You don't have a good world perspective. The kings of prophets were with them, warning them. Well, God was still blessing and providing economically by their harvest, providing the rain. They had trades with other nations. They were being able to defend their borders still. He mentions the south, the Negev, indicating the wilderness south of Judah. The lowlands, 
is the strip of west of Judah, Judean mountains that were vulnerable. Yet God was there. All God ever wanted was obedience to his word. He's waiting. I think Isaiah illustrates this point vividly in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 10 through 16. It's an amazing way that he opens up, opens up his prophecy. Isaiah illustrates this and he says, uh, uh, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. He's talking to the Israelis. City of Sodom, meaning Jerusalem. Uh, Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifice to me, says the Lord? I have had enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand? To trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifice, incense as an, as an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbath days, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meetings. Your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourself. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doing from before my eyes. God says, why do you even bother to come into my courts? Why do you even bother to pray? Wow. There are many people that are religious, that follow meticulous rituals and ceremony, thinking they are pleasing God. And that he hears their prayers, but he doesn't. Ash Wednesday takes place 46 days before Easter Sunday. And it's um, chiefly observed by Catholics. Ash Wednesday comes um, from the ancient Jewish tradition of penance and fasting to an extent. But corrupted. The practice includes the the wearing of ashes on the head, as you know. The ashes symbolize the dust from which God made us. And the priest applies the ashes to the forehead of a person, and he speaks the words, Remember that you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. Did God ever give this in the Bible? No. I was raised a Catholic, you know, I, I got to be a teenager, you know, I... I go to Ash Wednesday, and what I do, I just go by the parking lot, put my thumb in the in the exhaust pipe of a car, and put it here, and that's it. I'm done. And I got home, my mom and dad would say, yeah, I went religious, right? I'd be driving down Baum Park Boulevard, uh, there in Baum Park, you know, and, and across St. John's Church. And when you do, you know, you cross yourself. So I'm drinking a beer driving, and what I do, I put my beer between my legs, I cross myself, I pass the church, I chuckle, like, no big deal, it's religious, right? Don't laugh. You did the same thing. Most of you are ex-Catholics. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Lent is a season of 40 days, not counting Sunday, which begins with Ash Wednesday and ends on Holy Saturday. Lent comes from the Anglo-Saxon word Lenten, which means spring. Spring, that's why the eggs, fertility, it's pagan. It's idolatrous. Forty days represent the time Jesus spent in the wilderness, supposedly enduring temptation of Satan and preparing to begin his ministry. Lends a time of repentance. 
Fasting in preparation for the coming of Easter, it is a time of self-examination, reflection, and giving up certain things for 40 days, right? Your smokes. You notice I know. Your little drinking, your candies, your, your donuts or whatever. But then after those 40 days, man, you go party. So for the 40 days, we live like saints and the rest of the year we live like devils. Ritualistic, dead. God doesn't honor that at all. Wow. Wearing veils, robes, crossing oneself. Holy water. It's called dirty water. Everybody sticks their finger in there. <laughs> Incense. Kneeling, standing, whatever. Where do I find it in the Bible? I don't. Why do I do it then? God hasn't ordered any of these things. And they do not force him to hear me. Listen to... Um, Colossians 2, 20 through 23. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principle of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations? Man's regulations, not the Bible. Man's regulations in addition. Listen. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, none of those things are going to make you more holy. None of those things are going to help you uh, against your sin nature. The only thing that's going to stop you from being a sinner and yielding to your sin nature is the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit of God and you crucifying your flesh through both of those things. The rest mean nothing. You see people there in Mexico City and the Villa right there or, or the, the cathedral there and the plaza and people are kneeling and kneeling all the way to the door of the cathedral and their knees are bleeding. They're sincere, but they're sincerely deceived. God never intended that. God, God doesn't want you to afflict yourself or to punish yourself as he's going to heal you. He's, he took everything at the cross. Christian can also become caught up in rituals and ceremony and think they're pleasing God. Going to church consistently, but with no passion. Come on, get in the car, let's get it over with. Really? Okay. Wow. How privileged we are for, to have you here. Re reading and studying, but with no intent to obey. Ooh, serving in the church to be seen of men. You even go out and make yourself little cards and you pass them on, you know. People are weird. <laughs> Lying, stealing, slandering, gossiping. A lot of people are in church this morning, call themselves Christians. Like I said, they got loaded last night, got drunk last night, slept with their boyfriend, girlfriend. Some of them had a fling adulterously that they're sitting in church. I said, God, he's not concerned. Really? Hmm. 
Jesus said, Well, to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithes and mints and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites in the sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men by to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, you have the reward. Matthew 6.16 Giving an appearance, how spiritual are you deny yourself. Yes, this morning when I got up at three in the morning and pray and shut up. Amazing. You remember when Saul was sent to obey and destroy the Amalekites. Samuel came, he says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of God? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of wrath for rebellion is the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He also has rejected you from being king. 1 Samuel fifteen twenty-two through 23. Wow. This was a consternation expressed by God by that past generation third and last notice the castigation revealed by God verse 8 to 14 8 to 10 the prophet Zechariah received the second answer that God had required them to repent this is the goal the words are once again identified as divine revelation the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying from the covenant God Yahweh to the called prophet and anointed Zechariah. God had called them to turn from their corruption of the judicial system. Look at verse 9. The protector of Israel speaks again, thus saith the Lord of hosts. The command of the people and the priests was threefold. Don't miss it. They were to execute true justice. The phrase refers to deliberate and reliable judicial decisions and verdicts for the cases of the people presented to the judges. They were corrupting everything. They had corrupted the law, favoring some and, and just ripping off the people. They weren't upholding the law. Deuteronomy 1.16 says, Then I commanded your judges at that time, saying, Hear the cases between your brethren, and judge righteously between man and his brother, or the stranger who is with you. God delighted, and he wanted the, the, the justice to be straight, unpartial, but they had corrupted it. They were to show mercy and compassion. Notice, everyone to his brother. Mercy is a covenant word. Loving kindness. They were to be loving to each other. They were to be kind. They were to be helpful. Compassion under means a tender pity related to the word womb. When you think of a womb and a child, you think of tenderness and love, nurturing. Amos 5.24, the key verse of the book. Listen. But let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. You've done just the opposite. You've allowed corruption to run like water and deception and evil like a mighty stream. Look to our nation. Look to our state. A corrupt governor we have. He just stuck it to us again. And all the rest of the dummy crats. <laughs> it's a black and blue state. That's what it is. 
but we're only sojourners, so we'll pay the extra 20 cents. What are we going to do? Look at 10. God had called them to turn from their social oppression and injustice that took advantage of the people. They were not to oppress the most defenseless and most financially deprived person. Do not oppress the widow and the fatherless. In the law, Deuteronomy 10, 18, it says the law was very clear. He says, he administers justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. The book of Amos over and over and over again. He charged them against that. They were not to oppress the most vulnerable in the land. Listen, the alien or the poor. If any one of your brethren become poor and falls into poverty among you, then you shall help him like a stranger or sojourner that he may live with you. Leviticus 25, 35. All of this was in the law. You as parents, you raise your children in certain ways. There's certain things that you believe you've inculcated to them. You demand that. And when, and when they don't do it, you say, what, what have you forgot? Why have you forgotten everything I taught you? You know what we believe. You know how we are. It makes you angry. They were not to have wrong motives to plan in their hearts evil against their brethren. Listen, let none of you plan evil in, your, in their, his heart against his brethren. Micah 2.1 says, Woe to those who devise wicked or iniquity and work out evil in their beds at the morning light. They practice it because it's in the power of their hands just because they can do it. Today, corruption, no one goes to jail. There are no consequences. Everybody's all freaked out like big brother. And you have to look around before you talk. And you're afraid of all the snitches. And everybody's a little girl. They need to be knocked out. And they will learn the first lesson for life. Wow. Dangerous society. Amos 4.1 says, hear this word, you cows of Basham. These are two-legged cows, the wives of the men. Who are in the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to their husbands, bring wine, let us drink. And the little girl men do it. You ever read Jeremiah? He says, I'm going to take away your mighty men, your warriors. And I'm going to give you over to young men to rule you and foolish women. When women come to a prominent place in society, it demonstrates society's decayed. Call me a feminist, uh, anti-feminist, whatever you want. I don't really care. It's just the facts, Jack. When the head becomes the tail and the tail becomes the head, you're in trouble. That's what happened to Israel. That's what's happened to America. That's what's happening to the church at large. Not the real church, but the one you see that says they're Christian. Notice verse 11 and 12. The prophet Zechariah received also in the second answer of God as he accuses them of past personal rebellion to repent. Their fathers turned a deaf ear, but they refused to heed. The word here, heed, means to give attentiveness to obey. They didn't want anything. They just did not want to hear what God had to say. Their fathers lost the fear of God as they stood before the prophet, shrugging their shoulders. You know, your parent, your kid, pull away from me. What's the matter with you? Physically demonstrating arrogance 
and disrespect for the messenger and God. Physically demonstrating to God their rebelliousness. Their fathers could not tolerate to hear the words of God. They stopped their ears so that they could not hear. In other words, it it bothered them. It, It disturbed them to hear God's word. They put their hands over their ears. I don't want to hear it. Now you stop and think about it. You're talking to your kid. You're telling him what, he, what you need him to do. And you go, I don't want to hear. La, 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 la. You know, what are you going to do? You going to give him a hug? Uh, I don't think so. Their fathers had a simple problem. Look at verse 12. Their hearts. Yes, they made their heart like flint, refusing to hear the law and the words of the Lord of hosts who had sent them by his spirit through the former prophets. Flint, hard stone like a diamond. The ideas of hardening callousness, the inability to feel or to sense. You callous your conscience. It doesn't bother you anymore. You could do whatever you want. It's so scarred up. You get a cut is big enough. That, that area you can't feel. The, the, the nerves have been deadened. Jeremiah 79 says, The heart of man is deceitful, desperately wicked. The problem is the heart. Only God knows it. Your problem this morning, if you're here, is not your brains. You're not that smart. The problem is your heart. Or maybe you're listening out there in the world somewhere. Your heart needs to be renewed. You need to repent of your sins. You need to call upon God and cast yourself upon the stone. Let the stone fall upon you and crush you. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Ladies, that's doubly to you because you make decisions based on your emotions. That's why men work you like a yo-yo. With this fallen nature, we're bad news. And so you always end up with the shorter part of the stick. You always end up carrying the baggage. And men understand this in the fallen nature. Look at 12 still. Their fathers were judged by God. Thus great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. The phrase great wrath refers to the intensity and the extent of his anger and indignation. Why? Because he's a holy God. Is he mean? No, he's holy. He's just. He must judge sin and rebellion. You as a parent. If you don't judge or discipline your child, you don't love them. You love you. You don't want to be bothered. But if you love your son or daughter, you will get after them. How much more God? The source, the Lord of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven, they did not want God as their protector in the past. They provoked him to be what? Their punishers. Your children, my children, my grandchildren, they're the ones that decide what their parents are going to be, protectors or punishers. Am I clear on this? Do not turn the tables. Look at 13 and 14. The prophet Zechariah received in the second answer that God had to judge them for their disobedience. God brought forth his just judgment after much long suffering and patience. Think about it. This verdict did not happen overnight. God was patient, long-suffering with them. Therefore, it happened. This took a lot of time. The northern kingdom went from to captivity in 722 B.C. The southern kingdom, the last one in 586 B.C. The first minor prophet to prophesy pre-captivity was Obadiah. 
in 845 B.C. Habakkuk was the last in 606 B.C. Plus the major prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, 237 years of warning. Now, do you think God was quick to judge? 120 years before the flood? 237 years here? How long would you wait? Hmm. Notice they reaped to what they sowed. That, just as he proclaimed, and they would not hear, so they called out, and I would not listen. The prophets were sent to, by God. The prophets were ignored and killed by the people. The authority, again, is by the captain of the armies of heaven as their judge in the heavenly courtroom, no longer protecting them, but punishing them, the Lord of hosts. God brought forth his just sentencing for their crime against Yahweh. Look at 14. God sent them into captivity, but I scattered them with the whirlwind among all the nations which they had not known. According to the covenant curses of Deuteronomy 28, 41, and 42. Leviticus 23. If you do this, I'll bless you. If you do this, I'll curse you. Simple. God allowed the land to rest. Thus the land became desolate after them so that no one passed through or returned, just as he said it would. But notice, God faulted the people for the land becoming waste. Not God. Listen. For they made the pleasant land desolate. Oh, my mom, my dad, they hate me. They ruined my life. They didn't get that. No, you did it by your choices, by your rebellion. You have sown, you have reaped the whirlwind. Wow. Micah 6 eight says, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Anything wrong with that? You find anything wrong with that? Of course not. Wisdom in the Proverbs mocks the simple person that rejects it. Personified as a wisdom, he says, Because I have called and you refuse, I have stretched out my hand and no, no one regarded. Because you disdain all my counsel and would not have none of my rebuke, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terrors come. When your terrors come like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind and when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despise my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with the full of their own fancies. Wow. God calls every believer to repent and get right with God to serve him. Men and women who are committing adultery while they attend church. Men and women who are caught up in pornography while going to church. Men and women who are living contrary to what they profess they are, Christians. You can keep the list going. What does God say about this? Listen, Isaiah 118. Come now and reason with us together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they may be white as snow. Though they are like red, like crimson, they shall be as wool. If what? If you repent. God will forgive. God will restore. Sometimes the cost is great through the compromise of sin. The loss of a marriage, the loss of a ministry, loss of a reputation. You keep the list going. 
Revelation 2.5, Jesus speaking to the church of Ephesus, to Christians. Listen. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do your first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. God at times deals with individuals severely, sometimes exposing them for their sin. Other times, he brings sickness upon them. Sometimes he kills them. 1 Corinthians 11.30 says, For this reason many of you are sick among and many sleep are dead. But at all times God is desiring repentance for restoration. And therefore he goes to the extreme even of turning believers over to Satan. We do not turn believers, non-believers to Satan. They already belong to him. We turn believers over to Satan who rebel and refuse to repent. Like the young man sleeping with his stepmother. Listen carefully. 1 Corinthians 5, 4 through 5. He says, In the same, uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of Jesus Christ. We're hoping for repentance. Doesn't guarantee it. But you turn them over to Satan. That hopefully he repents, even if he loses life, that he'll be in heaven. He's talking to Christians, ladies and gentlemen, not non-believers. Context, context, context. This was the castigation revealed by God. He's talking to his people, right? Wow. God prefers obedience over ritualistic ceremony. Characterized by these three things. The delegation that inquired from God. Consternation expressed by God and the castigation revealed by God. Now, do you think this might be relevant for today? <laughs> Guaranteed that it does. God's always the same, holy. Men are always the same and women, sinful. Nothing has changed. Repentance is the answer. Lord, thank you for your love, your goodness. We love you. We thank you. We pray that you just speak to our hearts and cause us to be open to you, Lord. And Lord, that we stay on the straight and narrow. We pray for those that are here and that you would deal with their hearts. And Father, for those that are listening to the internet and the radio show, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts out there. If someone doesn't know you, they repent from their sins and call upon you. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Wherever you are, Right now, you're going to accept them. This is your prayer of repentance, and Christ is going to save you and forgive you. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit, Lord. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.